This is the Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. We're going to get to the New Hampshire stuff, but first I want to talk about, I always love any opportunity to talk about constitutional law. And Adam Schiff has given me a great opportunity to do so. Adam Schiff was agitated yesterday on Twitter. He was mad. He was upset. He was upset about this story about Roger Stone. Now, Roger Stone is this longtime political consultant and author and lobbyist going back all the way to the Nixon era. I'm not going to pretend that I am a great fan of Roger Stone. Um... He was on the Trump campaign for a while. He seemed to have been involved with various sleazy people. He was charged and convicted uh, based on investigations that were part of the Mueller investigation. He wound up getting charged and convicted with several counts of making false statement, uh, witness tampering, obstruction of justice. He was convicted of all seven counts. Uh, in November, and he was supposed to be sentenced just this month, and he got the sentence recommendation that the Department of Justice gave him. And let's recall who is giving him the sentencing recommendation. Prosecutors from the Department of Justice who worked on the Mueller investigation. Okay, some of these same, you know, team of lawyers who were, you know, working under Robert Mueller who were extremely aggressive left-wing lawyers, okay? And Robert Mueller was sort of the cover for them. They were this incredibly aggressive, active group of left-wing lawyers who had, you know, nominal Republican, you know, giving them cover as a moderate Robert Mueller in charge of them. And this team of lawyers was trying everything they could to take out the president. They ultimately did not succeed. So one of these, a couple of these prosecutors wound up doing investigations into all these different people within Trump's orbit. They got Roger Stone on some stuff. Stone's kind of an easy target. He's not very smart. He said a lot of, he wound up doing a couple of illegal things. Uh, He seems kind of like a weirdo and kind of like a sleazeball and really handled himself very poorly throughout his trial proceedings. But let's understand what he's guilty of. He's not guilty of, he's guilty of making false statements. He's not guilty of any violent crimes. He's not actually guilty of tampering with the outcome of an election, which is what the whole Mueller investigation was premised on. So he gets a sentencing recommendation from these Lawyers who worked on the Mueller team, who are assistant U.S. attorneys, so they are federal prosecutors, like like a lawyer who works for the DA's office in Fresno. These guys are federal prosecutors uh, for various U.S. attorneys' offices in Northern Virginia and D.C. They make a sentencing recommendation to Roger Stone, a first-time offender who is 67 years old, that he get a 10-year sentence. A 10-year sentence for what amounts to a bunch of process crimes. And they basically 
are recommending the most severe limits that the federal sentencing guidelines can give them and even base it off of some notion that he might be a physical threat, which is preposterous. Again, this is a 67-year-old man. This is He's a first-time offender. These are process crimes. These aren't, you know, these are bad. And by the way, this is not me defending Roger Stone. I don't like Roger Stone. I don't like a lot of the people who are sort of in the orbit of Trump in 2016. I'm not, like, defending him as some great exemplar of nobility here. I'm just saying, giving a 10-year sentence to a 67-year-old man for process crimes and really sort of twisting the sentencing guidelines to do it is pretty lame. All right. So... Trump gets wind of this and is obviously, understandably, very upset. Bill Barr then moves to try to, he then intervenes, and they are going to try to revise the sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone. The prosecutor in question huffily quits his job in protest, and the media jumps all over this. Oh my God, this is President Trump intervening with local prosecutors making a sentencing recommendation. This is a violation of norms. This is political interference in the Department of Justice's work. And Adam Schiff, who is sort of my shooting off point for all of this, Adam Schiff writes this humdinger of a tweet. He says, Sentencing recommendations countermanded, prosecutors punished, and enemies investigated. How do we measure the damage Bill Barr is inflicting on the independence, integrity, and reputation of the Department of Justice? We can't. Independence. And this is my jumping off point. I just want because this has been a consistent theme throughout the Trump era, where People have criticized Bill Barr by saying he just does whatever Trump tells him to. He's acting like he's Trump's personal lawyer. People have gotten angry about this situation. People have gotten angry at the notion that Trump at some point could have shut down the Mueller investigation. He never did. But they say, how dare he tamper with the independence of the Justice Department and the independence of the course of justice. All right. So let me explain something to you. I want to take this opportunity to do a little bit of constitutional law education for you all. All right. Our government is divided into three branches, as you all know. Article 1 of the Constitution deals with the powers and prerogatives of the legislative branch of our government, Congress, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. Article 3 deals with the powers and prerogatives of the judicial branch of our government the supreme court and its sub and uh whatever uh underlying federal courts may or may not come into existence article two deals with executive power executive power which is the power to enforce the law and that power is vested in one man one man only The power to enforce law is not given to the president and also to the Department of Justice in, you know, separate ways and in separate degrees. It's not like we have some executive power vested in 
agencies that are sort of disconnected from the president's authority. That is not the design of the Constitution. The Constitution says, flat out, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. That's it. Just in the president. Article 2, Section 2 says, The president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the United States, blah, 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 blah. He is the one. He calls the shots. Okay? He has executive authority. And part of executive authority is law enforcement authority. The president is a legal officer. It is a law job. This is one thing, you know, during 2016, why I was sort of pulling a little bit more for Rubio and Cruz. Not because I think lawyers are great or perfect, but at the very least, I think they had a better understanding than the non-lawyer Trump that the president's job is chiefly, first and foremost, a legal job. He's really the top prosecutorial official in the United States for the enforcement of any and all laws of the United States. When the president says something, it can have an impact on that law legally. It can be evidence about the nature of that law, how it's going to be enforced, the manner in which it's being enforced, whether it's being enforced wrongfully, whether it's being enforced with unlawful motives, blah, 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 blah. And that reality has bit Trump in the rear end on multiple occasions, okay? The reason why so much of President Trump's immigration policy has been hung up in the courts, even though it's stuff well within his authority as the chief executive, is because he said things that sort of sounded racist. Now, we can dispute whether those things he said were racist, but they certainly weren't careful. And as a result, various federal judges found grounds to say, hey, the president is the chief law enforcement official. He has given evidence through his public statements that the intent behind this is unlawful. It's based on racial discrimination, blah, 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 blah. Now, are those... Holdings kind of BS, sure. But nevertheless, what the president says and does has an impact on law enforcement. The president is the chief law enforcement official of the United States. The Department of Justice is not an independent agency. Prosecutors, federal prosecutors who prosecute people are not independent from the president. They are directly underneath the president in the federal chain of command. The president appoints the attorney general who serves at the president's pleasure. If the president doesn't like the attorney general, yank him right out of there. Replace him with someone he likes. If the president doesn't like the job that the various U.S. attorneys, the prosecutorial officials in the various uh, regions of the country who prosecute federal crimes and uh, who prosecute federal crimes, if he doesn't like the job they are doing, he can yank their rear ends right out of there. The president is the chief law enforcement official in the country. So the president moving in on this Roger Stone thing is not some breach of presidential power. It's not some overreach. It's not something unconstitutional. It's, in fact, perfectly within the realm of his constitutional authority. The president can say, hey, If there's some discretion here that we can exercise about how seriously and how how many years we're going to try to give this criminal defendant, who, by the way, 
is only being prosecuted as the result of an investigation that ultimately did not meet, did not find its sort of intended goal of finding that the president was involved in colluding with the Russians. And it seems very clear, at least to me, that the prosecutor who is slapping this 10-year sentence on Roger Stone is doing so mostly, I think, out of vindictive frustration that he didn't get the bigger fish. Okay, these prosecutors who worked on the Mueller team were very upset that basically they couldn't really get the president on colluding, illegally colluding with the Russians to alter the course of the 2016 election. And they were upset that their theory uh, that the president engaged in obstruction of justice because he was mad that the Mueller investigation was even happening. Their whole theory around that basically collapsed and didn't really go anywhere and did not have the their its desired political effect did not result in the president getting impeached, at least over that. So they're mad and they are taking it out on Roger Stone. They're taking it out on. You know, various other guys who have been prosecuted um, throughout this whole thing. So the president, let's let's also note, in addition to having being the direct boss of these U.S. attorneys who are slapping this 10 year sentencing recommendation on Roger Stone and having the authority to request that the DOJ, hey, if we have discretion within the guidelines, can we go for something lighter? I don't think this. This sentence matches the severity of this crime. In addition to that, President Trump also has certain prerogatives as president of the United States, which are a holdover from the time when we were an English colonial territory. Okay, In England, the sovereign or the head of state, rather. In England, the head of state, the queen or whoever the monarch is has authority to commute sentences, which means someone receives a death sentence and you can reduce it to a life sentence, or uh, someone has a life sentence and you can reduce it to 10 years, or someone has a 10-year sentence, you can reduce it to one year, whatever. So commute a sentence means to lessen a sentence, or even to pardon people. The president has full plenary authority to pardon people. So the idea that it's it's so inappropriate for the president to come in and, you know, alter the sentence, you know, try to uh, come in and ask the DOJ to lessen its sentencing recommendation on the front end rather than just pardon the guy on the back end. I mean, that that's preposterous. I think what Trump is doing makes perfect sense. I think he's acting against what and what Bill Barr is doing, I think, makes perfect sense. It's a little irregular, sure, but there was a lot of irregularities that went on throughout the course of the Mueller investigation. There are a lot of guys who are going to jail for the Mueller invest as a part result of the Mueller investigation. Who, yeah, they're sleaze balls and they're dirt bags, and I'm not saying that they are that these are great guys. Roger Stone, I mean, <laughs> there's a line from The Sopranos where Tony is talking about some uh, subordinate who he doesn't like, but he has to protect. And he said something like, uh, the, the crazy thing is I don't even like, like Ralph. If he was drowning, I'd throw a cinder block around. I'd throw him a cinder block. That's, that was the line. She's Louise. 
ruined it for the radio. If he was drowning, I'd rather throw him a cinder block. Like, that's with me. I don't care about Roger Stone. I don't love Roger Stone or anything. You know, I think the president's association with him, with uh, various other people who were in his orbit in 2016 was sort of unfortunate and unhelpful. And it was sort of a, a, an indication how nobody in the establishment of the Republican Party really wanted to um, wanted to touch Trump with a 10 foot pole. Uh, you know, you had these guys like Paul Manafort was another example. I've been I've been thinking the whole segment. What was the name of that guy? Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort was also kind of sleazy. He was involved with all kinds of sleazy deals with Ukrainians. I don't love him to death or anything. But the fact is, Paul Manafort and Roger Stone are only being convicted because these prosecutors on the Mueller team couldn't get the big fish that they wanted to get. And that was Donald Trump. That's who they wanted. They wanted to get Donald Trump impeached by getting stone cold, hard, clear, solid evidence that he had illegally engaged in collusion with the Russians in order to steal the 2016 election. That was their goal. They didn't get it. They're still mad about it. They're still mad that their weird theories of obstruction of justice, that the president who has full authority to stop an investigation over which he has oversight, uh, could even obstruct justice by canceling this uh, investigation because he had a bad motive. Their whole pet theory that President Trump engaged in obstruction of justice wound up to be a big nothing burger that couldn't even convince Nancy Pelosi to start impeachment. Pelosi didn't throw any of the Mueller charges into her impeachment charges against the president. So, I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, what we have here is sentences that I think a reasonable person could look at and say, that's a little severe. It was someone that Trump knew. It was someone who was an advisor to Trump, who was in Trump's orbit. Trump is mad that he's this guy is basically only being prosecuted because of the Mueller investigation, which he still thinks, and pretty rightly so, was unfair. And so Trump is saying, hey, let's maybe let's look within the guidelines and, and let's go a little easier on this guy. Ten years for a 67-year-old guy who's a first-time offender committing process crimes is it's just a little much. And Adam Schiff crying foul that, oh no, he's threatening the independence of the DOJ. The DOJ is not independent. The DOJ is an extension of the power of the president. All right, when we come back, I'm going to try to explain that a little bit more. What would happen if the Department of Justice weren't independent? Oh, excuse me. If the Department of Justice were independent, if the Department of Justice were independent, it could lead to some pretty bad outcomes. It's part of the design of our Constitution that law enforcement is vested in the hands of someone who is politically accountable. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. This is the new John Gelardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. So Adam Schiff is all mad at President Trump for working uh, with Bill Barr to issue lessened sentencing recommendations against Roger Stone, who was a former campaign aide who, yes, was involved with some sleazy, dirty dealing. I'm not saying Roger Stone is some great hero. 
but he was getting a 10-year sentencing recommendation from some of the prosecutors who were part of Robert Mueller's team. And it seems like these prosecutors are still mad that they didn't get the big fish, Donald Trump. So they're taking it out on all these other guys in Trump's orbit who they found along the way engaged in various process crimes which were not related to illegally colluding with Russians or anything of the sort. So they're mad that they didn't get Trump, and they're slapping a 10-year sentence on Roger Stone, a 67-year-old guy, a first-time offender, for nonviolent process crimes. It's excessive. And, and even, I think, some of the ways they got to the 10-year sentence, they were using stuff in the federal sentencing guidelines that was inappropriate. So President Trump and Bill Barr sort of have intervened in this thing and said, hey, let, let's, let's try to issue some new sentencing guidelines. Well, the prosecutor, again, one of Mueller's guys, huffily resigned his job in protest that, you know, the Central Department of Justice would dare interfere with his decisions as a local prosecutor. Everyone is up in arms about it. Adam Schiff is acting like this is the end of the world. And Adam Schiff's quote, which I just can't get over here, his tweet, which I retweeted, by the way, at Fresno Johnny, if you want to read all my daily thoughts. He says, Adam Schiff writes, how do we measure the damage Bill Barr is inflicting on the independence, integrity and reputation of the Department of Justice? First of all, Bill Barr is in charge of the Department of Justice. It's not independent of him. Okay. secondly, the Department of Justice is an extension of the president's power. It does not operate in isolation from the president. It's not a check on the president. It is part of the president's power. And it led me to sort of think, what if, as Adam Schiff says, what if the Department of Justice actually were independent? What if it were? What if the Department of Justice was not under the direct authority of an elected branch of government. What would happen? See, the framers of the Constitution weren't dummies, all right? Look, there are people who can nitpick individual things about the structure of how our government's put together. There was a theory behind it, and there was some smarts behind it, and, you know, it's, uh, it's worked decently well for a couple centuries now better than the constitutions of most democracies have worked anyway. I guess the Civil War was kind of a glaring problem in the whole thing. But one of the features that's built into our constitution is that the guy who is vested with executive power is politically accountable. The guy who's invested with all of the law enforcement power, which is the president who uses the Department of Justice to exercise that power for him, the president is politically accountable. All right, that's not always that was not always the case. You know, back in the day, the King of England exercised the, the monarch of England exercised the executive power. Monarch of England not accountable to the people. And as a result, you could see lots I mean one of the things you saw very common in England and you know, this was sort of a uh, fruit of pre-modern society that, you know, needed some time to go away. Lots of incredibly gruesome and brutal, you know, death sentence type punishments in criminal law for things that we would not think of as that severe. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is imagine if the Department of Justice was not under the control of someone politically accountable. The DOJ could prosecute people it does not like 
politically without any check on itself? What if the DOJ fell into the hands of a certain political party who then used it as a ruthless organ for unfairly prosecuting, putting the weight of American criminal justice against people that the people in the Department of Justice didn't like? I mean, the Department of Justice, if it were untethered from an accountable executive, could be the greatest force for tyranny in the world. It could use the FBI to investigate all kinds of people unjustly. It could use its prosecutorial power to put people away in jail unfairly. Okay, it could issue sentencing guide. What if it issued a sentencing guideline that was, you know, 20 years for someone that they just politically didn't like for a minor process crime? What if it were independent, as Adam Schiff says? The point of the DOJ, look, the framers of the Constitution weren't dummies. They realized that criminal prosecution is an incredibly potent source of power. It gives you the ability to help friends and harm enemies. It can give you the ability to twist an election. If it's not politically accountable, if the leadership at the DOJ and people underneath it aren't politically accountable, aren't accountable, and by that I mean accountable to voters, it can be untethered and become almost a fourth branch of government all to its own. So no, Adam Schiff, I don't care that Bill Barr is threatening the independence of the Department of Justice. It's not an independent agency. It isn't. It isn't something disconnected to the president. And frankly, I don't want it to be. I want the DOJ to be under the authority of someone who's politically accountable. All right, that's part of the kind of risk-averse way in which our American government has been structured. It's, it's a check and a balance on one of the various sources of power. I mean, you could say, well, if it's independent, well, then Congress could check it by issuing laws. Hey, guess who enforces laws? The DOJ, <laughs> okay? If, if the DOJ were independent, it could just choose which laws of Congress it wants to and does not want to enforce. All of the law enforcement officials, the federal law enforcement officials in this country are under the Department of Justice. Unless you want to bring about, I mean, the only response a president would have would be a military dictatorship where he would call in the army to fight against the DOJ. Do you really want FBI officers fighting with army soldiers? Again, like, like, we are resorting to these crude sort of cheap shots against the president because they're politically expedient and talking about things as if they are great state institutions of our American Republican government, like the notion of the independence of the DOJ. Why? Because generally the Central Department of Justice doesn't intervene with sentencing guidelines given by local U.S. attorneys. Well, so what? This is not threatening the stability of anything. This is a superior officer telling an inferior officer, hey, I would like you to do this job slightly differently. This is not some grave threat to our constitutional structure. If anything, this is our constitutional structure functioning exactly as it was supposed to. 
The Department of Justice should not be independent. It should be under the accountability of an elected executive who every four years has to face voters. Who is under threat of impeachment and removal. So, no, Adam Schiff, I don't care that Bill Barr is, quote, threatening the independence of the DOJ. I don't want the DOJ to be independent. I want the DOJ to be under the lawful authority of a politically accountable actor. That's what I want. That's the way this thing works best. That's the way that I want it. And you know what? I'd say, look, I'm not pretending to be an expert on criminal sentencing guidelines. As far as I can tell, though, this intervention by Bill Barr makes some sense. It's not some outrageous act of an overreaching DOJ who is stumbling to try to protect a crazy president who just wants to protect his cronies. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about New Hampshire and the fallout from that. Whether Bernie Sanders is really going to be the nominee. I'm now pretty convinced he really will be. Boy, was I wrong about Joe Biden. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. We now turn away from Adam Schiff. Definitely not something that's that hard to do. We turn away from Adam Schiff and turn our focus to the New Hampshire primaries, which uh, just concluded last night. I like to give myself 24 hours to think about things, so we have done so. So what were the outcomes? So Sanders won New Hampshire. Buttigieg comes in second. Now, I, I must admit, as someone who, look, as someone who cares mostly about the abortion issue, and secondarily about a lot of other things. I would detest any single one of these Democrats winning. So I look at this with an eye towards November. And I am, I think, most afraid of... Well, here's the thing. When we started this whole thing off, I was most afraid of Joe Biden. I had not counted on just how clearly not with it Joe Biden is. Um... Frankly, he's two years younger than Bernie, and Bernie just had a heart attack, and Bernie looks like he is running circles around the guy. Uh, Biden is probably done. Uh, He did really poorly in Iowa. He did really poorly in New Hampshire, and he's running out of money. Uh, He will probably do well in South Carolina. Biden has the one advantage that he's the only candidate that black people like. (laughs) Okay, Uh, the only candidate on the Democrat side that black people actually trust and like. And that's not an insignificant thing. Um, Black people were frankly, the African-American vote was why Hillary Clinton that and some shenanigans, why Hillary Clinton won the nomination over Bernie in 2016. Bernie did not do well with the black vote. African-Americans know the Clintons, they trusted the Clintons, they voted for Hillary. So what does the future look like here? Well, there are a couple of outcomes. Bernie could just win the whole thing on the Democrat side. And I am a little afraid uh, of how he would do against Trump. I think Trump's got a lot to work with. Sanders is way out there. Uh, The polling 
when you go Trump versus Sanders is not as favorable as Trump versus Buttigieg. Um, Buttigieg actually polls the worst against Trump of anybody, and Buttigieg is sort of clearly the second place. It's it's basically him and Bernie right now are sort of in the top two. But there's also the threat of Mike Bloomberg. Uh, Mike Bloomberg, who has so much money. Uh, the guy has $60 billion, people are sort of estimating now, and he's spent like $300 million, which is like $100 million more than Tom Steyer and $200 million more than anybody else. So... And basically, if you watch any, my wife and I laugh at this. All the TV we like to watch is basically geared towards old people. Uh, we like watching Jeopardy. Um, you know, even some of the sports stuff I watch or listen to in podcasts, whatever, is oriented towards old people. And I am seeing ads for Mike Bloomberg every Michael Bloomberg. I'm, I'm going to try to not call him Mike because I think that is a silly thing that he has just promoted and it just makes me think of prison Mike Scott from Michael Scott from the office. Michael Bloomberg is the real wild card in this. And so the the website 538.com, which is this political statistics sort of tracking monitoring news website. Basically they've done a lot of statistical analysis of, uh, they do statistical analysis of elections and the guy who runs it, Nate Silver, has been sort of this wunderkind among sort of the left. And they were probably, <laughs> nobody predicted Trump would win, but they gave Trump a much better chance than pretty much everybody else, okay? Uh, they gave Trump at least like a 25% chance of winning in 2016. Everyone else was giving him like a 3% chance. Nate Silver basically has the odds that Bernie Sanders has a two in five shot of winning the primary. That's how they view it. Biden has a one in six shot. Buttigieg has a one in 20 shot. Bloomberg has a one in 25 shot. Warren has a one in 30 shot. All others have less than one in 100 shot. The second most likely outcome after Bernie winning is a brokered convention. That is my best possible outcome as someone who wants to see a Democrat lose. Okay, let me explain why. I don't know that Buttigieg or Mike Bloomberg have the juice to actually get enough delegates to win the nomination outright. But I'll say this, uh, Buttigieg excites nobody. He doesn't excite black people. He doesn't excite Bernie bros. He actively infuriates Bernie bros. And if you don't have any portion of your base really excited and everyone kind of questioning, boy, this 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 uh, person looks like he's 12 years old and he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. That's going to be a problem against President Trump. Mike Bloomberg, I think, at least will get greater trust from baby boomers and suburban voters than Buttigieg will. And he's got a lot more money. But he similarly does not enthuse the liberal wing of the party, and he I don't know that he really has a great connection with African-American voters. Those two are the most likely to get a brokered convention. And what I could see is Bernie Sanders having more delegates than anybody going into a brokered convention at the Democratic National Convention and him still not being the nominee because everyone else, all the Democratic people conspired to keep him out and put someone else in and the bernie bros will be furious at another election that they deem to have been stolen from them all right we'll be back with closing thoughts on the john girardi show
the Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Hey, all this national election stuff doesn't negate the importance of the March 3rd election locally here in California, the primary election. Get out and vote. Be sure to vote. If you've got your voter ballot with you right now, mail that thing in or hold on to that sucker and drop it in the box on March 3rd. Just because we may not have a big part to play in presidential politics for this March 3rd election, or in November, frankly, doesn't mean you should not be active. Lots of important local races, so be involved. This has been the John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app.